on 9-11. Our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? It's man Parker Ainsworth here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Today, we got a very special pair of history lessons on some recent events. It's kind of a weird summer with the 2020 Olympics happening in summer of 21 and all of the seasons on a little bit different timeline. So we've got some good friends here to help us out. But first, let's start with some gold stars and detentions. All right. So first gold star goes to Michael Irvin. That's Michael Irvin of my beloved Cowboys. And Michael Irvin's commentary was simple. It was that if you are not getting vaccinated as an NFL player, you don't care enough about winning. Not sitting here saying that Michael Irvin needs to make everyone's personal decisions. What he is saying is very simple. What's going to impact this season a lot with COVID is people having to sit out that are not vaccinated and people that are not vaccinated staying around people that are getting sick. And if you have to sit out, that will hurt your team. And he's making a very simple statement that the vaccinated teams, right, teams that vaccinate people have less people sit out. And that that's a really powerful statement for a guy like Michael Orphan to be making, especially given the controversy surrounding guys like former Dallas Cowboy Cole Beasley and comments other NFL players are making on this. He's saying it's very, very simple. Trust the science and the doctors. They've got you and your team's best interests at Heart. Second gold star goes to Tim Anderson of Chicago White Sox. This isn't for anything outside of being really, really good at baseball. I just feel like I hadn't heard his name in a while. I don't know why the Chicago White Sox aren't getting the kind of love that other teams do. However, they played my Houston Astros over the weekend. I got to see a little bit more up close and personal while I'm watching those games. And he's really, really good. You don't get a 16-game hit streak just by happenstance tim anderson's playing really really good baseball we should all be showing him a little more props i understand he's not quite as fun as tatis he had his fun moment in the sun a couple summers back when he was a little bit uh more show buddy we'll say a little bit more bat flipping and i like that kind of stuff i appreciate that kind of stuff i think talking smack 
is fun and good. So shout out to Tim Anderson, Gold Star. Third and last Gold Star of the Week goes to Naomi Osaka. Now, while she's earned plenty of Gold Stars on the tennis court, this is really for all of these things that she's done since, right? She has continued to push for a Naomi Osaka Barbie line to help people like her as they grow up see people that look like themselves in things like Barbie dolls. She also has started off or started a reality show of sorts that kind of follows her life a little more closely to help give us more insight into the kind of things that are surrounding her world. She's one of three women on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue this year. And I think that's interesting because Sports Illustrated went out of their way to show women that are frankly breaking from the mold they've built for themselves and showing a little, little bit different women. She's gotten some flack for doing all three of these things because she asked to not be talked to after matches for her own mental health about six weeks ago, namely by guys like Clay Travis or Megan Kelly, to which she responded, do better. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out to both Travis and Kelly, and they know this, they're just trying to troll things on the internet. All of these things are being done not after her tennis match, right? Things like this photo shoot was done almost a full six months ago. Things like this Barbie was put into place also in the last six months. And things like the reality show were wrapped up filming closer to four months ago. These are all projects she's working on very much before going to play tennis as opposed to afterwards. And so I think that's a very simple and easy thing to understand. I get that sometimes trolls gonna troll, but it's just mental health is not going to be the kind of thing that we're going to reward trolling here. We're gonna reward Naomi Osaka for being frankly stronger than them and pointing out that those folks need to do better. We're going to detention a couple things this week. Our first detention is going to the show First Things First. They're really, really going hard on this Milwaukee Bucks not a super team take and how it's the first non-super team to win an NBA Finals in 10 years and blah, 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 and, blah, blah, and all these things they want to say. And they're missing so much nuance with it. Chris Broussard in particular is missing so much nuance with it. For starters, it's the same network that wanted to do things like asterisks this year and talk about how this year doesn't count. And how can you talk about this non-super team doing something so creative and great and also talk out the other side of your mouth about how this needs to be a year that we look at things like asterisks? Like, I'm not the asterisk guy, but I'm also not sitting here saying this is the first time we've seen a team with one or two stars play this well and win an NBA title. The second thing that Twitter was very quick to tell Broussard that he does not appreciate is that the third best player on last year's NBA champion Los Angeles Lakers is like KCP, right? Maybe Rajon Rondo. is two. Does two players a superstar team make? And if so, we've had a lot more superstar teams than I think Chris Broussard would allude to. And so shout out to people pointing that out for him. I also think it's worth pointing out that I don't like people that talk out both sides of their mouth. If this is an asterisk year, then you need to stick with it and not say things like, this would be the first time this other thing has happened because you're going to have to asterisk that statement as well. Or if you're going to be like me and not asterisk this year, you need to understand that this is the kind of team that very well could have won this year, right? This is a very good basketball team and chips fell where they did. And this is a team that won it all this year. Second detention is going to go to COVID and Team USA. Uh, we've been in this pandemic for 18 months and counting now, and while it's had its peaks and valleys and we thought we were in a valley, clearly the virus is taking its toll in the Olympic Village. Have a couple athletes, including a few men's basketball players, that have to go home. Uh, Zach Levine is heading home. Uh, Bradley Beal is heading home. And then for 
mental and physical health reasons, Kevin Love is heading home. That's a lot of Team USA basketball players heading home, especially when you realize they have three guys in the NBA Finals that have not left home yet. <laughs> and so the men's basketball team is in a bit of a predicament. They're not the only ones. Coco Goff has also been diagnosed with COVID-19. And we're looking at a real serious impact on Team USA in the Olympics, not just in the training and lead up to the Olympics, but in the actual results and the actual Olympic Games. And that's no fun. These things happen once every four, or in this case, five years. And it's really, really a shame to see this continue to run its way through Team USA. Our special history lesson for today are about sports that are wrapping up or are mid-season. First, we'll have a special guest who goes by KDOT. He's going to help catch us up on where the WNBA is heading as they go into the Olympic break. They take a pause mid-season, really about two-thirds of the way through the season, to get ready for the Olympics. And so we're going to talk with him about where the WNBA is at this moment. And we're going to invite back Mr. Ryan McCarthy to tell us a full breakdown on how the NHL playoffs went. If you remember, he was on our NHL playoff preview pod, and he is back to recap and talk us through what all we got right and wrong and how things went down and about what things surprised him throughout the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, so let's meet our substitute teacher here to give us a little bit of a history lesson on the current 2021 WNBA season Everyone say hello to K-Dot. K-Dot, why don't you introduce yourself to the class a little bit? What up? What it is? What's popping? It's, of course, your boy K-Dot, and I am so glad to be a part of this episode uh, with Parker. Uh, Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, If you don't know me, now you will know me. I am one part of the WNBA show uh, with Daniel Artest, and, of course, we all talk about current events within the WNBA and as well as the game itself. So definitely an honor to be a part of the conversation today and I can't wait to get started. For sure. And we're excited to have you, KDOT. Um, I, I look to your stuff a lot for WNBA background information as I'm following the season. Um, because frankly, this year has been a little weird in that so many sports are happening in June and July. I feel like the WNBA normally has a lot of the airtime. And so it's good to have people like yourself that can help fill in the gaps where I miss something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it you're right. It absolutely is one of those weird years where we're having and seeing a lot of sports happen over the summer. Um, And of course, the WNBA season is definitely linked to the summertime um, due to all of the obligations that these uh, great professional women athletes go through during the winter when they're overseas. So of course, you know, sharing kind of like the the media load with the NBA, and then of course with uh, Major League Baseball that occurs in the summer, of course, you know, that's always you know, one of those things where you look at it and you're like, okay, we got to share a little bit. So it's all good. I mean, we know we were in, you know, a a very weird time last year with, with COVID. So, you know, it's stuff like, it's it's stuff like this and episodes like this and shows like this that give us an opportunity to continue to talk about the league and what, uh, what we're doing to help kind of like grow it and expand it. So thank you again, for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, and, and let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, as a Houston sports fan myself that currently lives in Dallas, and there are no Comets to root for anymore, uh, last three or four years have been getting somewhat attached to the Dallas Wings, namely 
Arike Agumbawale. Uh, so after winning the WNBA All-Star Game MVP last night, tell me why she's the best player on planet Earth. Well, <laughs> as far as the best player on planet Earth, <laughs> I might have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit. But I will say that Arike Agumbawale is definitely um, a great, great star in the making, um, you know, because of her scoring prowess and, you know, her ability to actually put the ball in the hoop. Um, I followed Arike, of course, ever since uh, Notre Dame, um, even before the game-winning uh, shot in the corner in the uh, Final Four in the National Championship, uh, which was uh, indeed amazing. Of course, she carries, you know, she's from the uh, Kobe umbrella, of course, with Kobe, uh, rest in peace, being right. one of her uh, all-time favorite players and, you know, kind of using the Mamba mentality moniker. Um, and, of course, wearing number 24, um, you know, to kind of honor uh, Kobe Bryant. And with Arike, you know, having the spectacular game that she had last night, I believe she had 26 points. Um, and, you know, just kind of like just being a killer um, on the offensive end versus uh, Team USA, I mean, that, you know, goes to show um, how much uh, work she's put in um, to actually prove that she's, you know, one of the most premier scorers in the WNBA. I know she felt a little slighted. It, it had to be because, of course, she did not get selected to be a part of Team USA. So, of course, you know, a little bit of that game yesterday for her was a little bit personal. She wanted to kind of prove that, She's indeed, of course, one of the not only the most prolific scorer in the WNBA, but one of the best players in the league. So, you know, it was only right that she came out and, and showed um, her, her scoring prowess. And one thing about Arike, especially in yesterday's game, she wasn't afraid to go at, you know, Team USA. Um, it's one of those situations with Enrique is like, she has one of those attitudes where it's like, it's next play mentality, you know, whether it's a good play, whether it's a bad play, she's always focused on the next play. And one thing about, um, Enrique is, you know, she's so dynamic in that. And it, it was amazing to see, especially in yesterday's game. Yeah. And she's really grown up a lot. Again, I, I've been watching them a lot closer in the last three or four years and she's grown up a lot. And what is really leading, you know, they're struggling for wins in a lot of ways. They're 9-12 and 12 currently. But she's leading a really young team, and she's not very old herself, K-Dot. Right, right. Um, you, you know, very, very young. I, I believe she's in her third year, um, second or third year. Uh, I got to, of course, um, do, do my research again. But at the same time, for her to be so young and, to, and for her to be leading this Dallas Wings team, you know, is simply amazing. And one thing that I've learned, um, especially with, with Dallas um, and the improvement that they've made, is you have to give a lot of credit, of course, to Coach Vicki Johnson as well. Given the opportunity um, to kind of just let Arike be Arike, you know, is very important. One of those things um, that you have to do as a coach is you have to understand, you know, with, uh, with the players that you have to let the player be the player and make the correct adjustments when needed. So um, I think she's done um, so far a, a great job. Of course, they've highly improved in, in win percentage from last year to this year. Um, I think they, they have nine wins, um, you know, coming into the break, um, but there's still, I think, three games under 500, which is still, 
you know, amazing um, from a perspective of compared to last year, especially right. in uh, in the wobble. So, you know, for Coach Vicky Johnson to just let Arike be Arike, I mean, it's just one of those things. And Arike is doing a good job, you know, um, playing her role as as the prolific scorer that she is and emerging as a, a, a star in the WNBA. Completely. And, and obviously I'm a little biased and like talking about them. And they are fun to watch as far as the future of the league goes. But they are just sitting at 9-12. and 12. One impressive team has really been very impressive since they got to Las Vegas have been the Aces. Asia Wilson also played very well in the WNBA All-Star game. It, it looks like they're set for another big run. Can you tell us something about how the first half of the year went for them? Yes, absolutely. Um, they are my pick. Um, for the WNBA uh, championship this year, they've each year I feel like they've improved in something. Last year uh, in the in the wobble, it was the improvement of Asia Wilson. Obviously, Asia Wilson, you know, being the uh, WNBA uh, 2020 MVP uh, league MVP was simply amazing. Prior to that, last year uh, having a uh, having a chance to go to the uh, WNBA uh, finals, um, although they they fell short. So each year they've improved. Last year they went to the finals, unfortunately got swept by the uh, Seattle Storm. Um, but this year they're um, on uh, on task to continue that um, that championship uh, that championship run that they're looking for and ultimately win it. So uh, with the Aces, one thing that's changed is not only having Liz Cambage back, but the acquisition of Chelsea Gray. She's been a very pivotal part playing the point guard, um, the starting point guard um, for the Aces. And she's finally got her legs up under her and she finally understands Coach Bill Lambert's system. And another person who you have to give credit to is Kelsey Plum. Um, obviously, she was out last year with the Achilles injury. Um, and she was not able to uh, play um, the 2020 season. So coming in this year, not only that, coming back from injury, but also having the chance to play 3x3 for the uh, U.S. Uh, women's national team has also helped, helped her game out a lot. And that chemistry is finally there. Um, they struggled early, kind of, um, kind of being 500, but they figured it out and – They've um, always had this moniker of defense wins the championships. Of course, Bill Lambert having the <laughs> Detroit Pistons bad boy moniker. The and he's taken that everywhere he's he's gone in the WNBA. We've seen it with the Detroit Shot. Now the Dallas Wings. Now you see it with the Las Vegas Aces. So uh, of course, you know being top two in the WNBA right now, going into this Olympic break, is very uh, promising for for the Aces. And I think they will make that run um, to be the champion. Um, of course, there's one team that's in the way, and that's the Seattle Storm. And that's one of the surprise teams that um, I've definitely been looking at because I literally thought they were going to take a step back uh, with uh, Alicia Clark being gone, with Natasha Howard going to the uh, New York Liberty. You know, I really thought they were going to take a step back. But Jewel Lloyd has stepped up tremendously um, especially from a scorer's perspective. Um, and, of course, you have, you know, Brianna Stewart, um, who's definitely continuing to do her thing. But the acquisition of Candace Dupree, that veteran leadership, um, has definitely helped out. And, of course, you know, the ultimate point guard in Sue Bird um, is still there. So Talk, talk us through that, because I think when people think of the Storm, whether it's the historical face in Sue Bird 
or the dominant face in Brianna Stewart, right? People think of those two faces, but the little bit I've gotten to watch them this year too, and they've had some of the nationally televised games, the ABC games. I have also been very impressed by Jewel Lloyd. So what is she bringing to the table playing off the ball more and those kind of things that is different than she was doing a year ago? Absolutely. It's dynamic scoring. Jewel Lloyd just knows how to get to her spots. It's very difficult, and when I when I I mean this when I say this, it's very difficult at the highest level of basketball to score in certain spots that you're comfortable in. You have to be dynamic skill wise, and you have to have some. Uh, you have to have a little bit of athleticism as well. And Jewel Lloyd has figured that out playing off the ball a little bit more. Um, last year, of course, she was a little a um, little more on ball. Um, being more of the point guard, taking a point guard role. And she was very dynamic in that role because um, I believe uh, last year in the, in the Wubble, uh, the Seattle Storm was top three in offensive efficiency, um, if not number one. So this year she's kind of taken a step back as far as um, point guard duties and allowing Jordan Canada to, to bring those duties in. And she's playing a lot more off the ball, which is very, um, very good for the Storm because – it gives kind of like another dynamic um, scoring wise and you don't have to at least put a lot of attention on Brianna Stewart because Brianna Stewart is going to be Brianna Stewart. She's going to um, get to her spots and she's going to put the ball in the hoop anyway. But with Jewel Lloyd having more of a scorer's um, responsibility, it makes it very difficult for opposing teams from a scouting report perspective because now she doesn't have the ball. Now you have to worry about her coming off pin downs. You have to worry about her coming off those stagger screens. Um, she's playing more of the of the floppy uh, role, playing as the two guard when you're coming off of those staggers and um, trying to make plays and, and put the ball in the hoop in that realm. So it's very important uh, for Jewel Lloyd um, to play off the ball a little bit more this year because of that indeed dynamic. And the Seattle Storm has done a great job. And you have to give credit uh, to Noel Quinn who is now uh, acting um, head coach um, and realizing that and using some of that, um, some of those uh, offensive uh, abilities when she was playing for the Seattle Storm. So, you know, it's definitely good for Jewel Lloyd to be in this uh, position. Yeah, and I've been really impressed with them throughout the year. I've liked watching Sue Bird for a long time. Brianna Stewart brings a different, like, just a different animal, being the inside-outside presence she is. But like you said, I think that this year the difference for them has been having other scorers, like a Jewel Lloyd, that can do things for them. One of the interesting games I've seen lately was they actually lost to the Phoenix Mercury without Diana Taurasi on the floor. And I want to hear from you, what has Phoenix been doing in the first half of the season because Trossi's been in and out. Um, she suited up in the WNBA All-Star game for Team USA, but I don't believe she got on the floor at all. And I, I'm impressed by them because I think of her as kind of, obviously they have Brittany Griner, obviously they added Skylar Diggins. But I think of Diana Taurasi as kind of the thing that makes that team go. The, the biggest thing this year is Skylar Diggins understands the offense a lot more. She's been playing at a very high level. Um, obviously, you know, with her first election of being a part of Team USA this year has solidified that. And it's definitely Skylar Diggins taking on that role and also the acquisition of Kia Nurse. Um, 
that's very important as well because Kia Nurse, you know, with the Liberty, I mean, high-powered shooter. She's known for shooting. And that's brought a dynamic into the Phoenix Mercury that's been um, very helpful. And then with stepping up, uh, of course, Brittany Griner, um, arguably the most dominant big um, in the WNBA. So um, her stepping up as well, um, hopefully, of course, you know, with her um, her mental state, we, we continue to pray that she continues right. to um, kind of go through that um, in a positive way. Um, but she so far so good this year as far as that is concerned. And she's been playing at a high level as well. So it's it's kind of like next man up while Diana is out. Um, and once Diana comes back, um, hopefully in the second half of the season, you know, that's when Phoenix is definitely going to put the pedal to the metal and continue to try to compete for uh, one of those spots, uh, one of those eight spots um, for the WNBA playoffs. So I think that's really the dynamic of what's happening in Phoenix is that the um, rise in leadership of Skylar Diggins Smith and of course, uh, Kia Nurse, along with Brittany Griner, just stepping up and taking that role as being leaders on the floor so that they can definitely continue to be um, successful. They have, exactly. They're, they're a game below 500, but they are competitive right now with Diana out. You mentioned Brittany Griner and Diggins Smith. They're both top six in scoring in the league right now. I mean, they're, they're shouldering a lot of the load. But we've talked all Western Conference right now, and so I do need to talk a little bit about the East. The big storyline going into the season in the East was Candace Parker signing to go home to Chicago. As you see it, right, you watch this much closer than the layperson. How has that experimental, say for lack of a better word, worked? Oh, it's worked tremendously. I mean, obviously, you, you've seen the record with Candace Parker. You've seen the record without Candace Parker. Um, one thing about the Chicago Sky is uh, the, the Chicago Sky was definitely a, a pick to be um, finals favorites. And in the beginning, you saw it. Um, you saw what Candace Parker was able to do. You saw the improvement of Kalia Copper. Vandersloot is always going to Vandersloot. Um, <laughs> Allie Quickly, of course, she's uh, – She's been in and out of the lineup due to injury, but, you know, she's she's still, you know, a, a prominent shooter. And then Diamond to Shields, um, of course, you know, coming in. And what's happening with Chicago is I really believe that with uh, Candace Parker being healthy, um, I think they have the opportunity to kind of run the table a little bit um, in the second half of the season. We saw it um, when Candace Parker came back. They have won eight of their last 11. Um, they went seven and oh once once she came back um, and they've been doing very, very well. And you're now seeing what James Wade had been talking about. Coach James Wade had been talking about as far as, you know, dynamic scoring along with um, prominent defense. And one X factor for the Chicago Sky is definitely Stephanie Dolson. She is kind of like the heart and soul of the team. Um, and she's proven that again. She was away doing 3x3 along with Kelsey Plum and Alicia Gray. So, um, you know, and also uh, Katie Lou Samuelson. So that has definitely changed um, a lot for the Chicago Sky. And I do believe that once the second half of the season comes about, that they'll be able to uh, definitely make a lot of noise um, coming into the second half of the season and definitely compete with the Connecticut Sun, who is on fire right now. Number three in the WNBA, 
um, as far as team record. And um, I'm definitely excited to talk about the Connecticut Sun because my oh my. Well, and so that's where I was going to go next is because I think Chicago probably dominated headlines in the East going into the season. But if you've been paying attention, the team's been Connecticut. So what's going on there? Listen, it's by committee. <laughs> I'm telling you. So with the Connecticut Sun and you look at their roster, you know, they're basically, again, they're playing by committee. So when you have the the quintessential big in John Quell Jones – who can, you know, put the ball on the floor, get on the block, 44% three-point shooter. You know, that's 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 unicorn-type <laughs> talent. Um, and when you also have Dewana Bonner, who is a prolific scorer in herself, we've seen her with the Phoenix Merc- Mercury um, in the way she's been able to uh, put the ball on the floor. Um, it's been amazing. And, again, you know, the improvement of Jasmine Thomas this year and Tisha Hottleman this year, you know, these are arguably, you know, players that can, that can win most improved player. And I think that especially, even though she hasn't been getting a lot of minutes, Dijanae Carrington, the rookie from Baylor has definitely stepped up when needed. Um, and again, she hasn't had a lot of minutes, but she's definitely stepped up a lot. So I, I really think that, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, the Connecticut Sun, they're just playing together and they have cohesiveness. So even without Alyssa Thomas this year, they're doing everything that they need to do to compete for a championship. And I think it's a great thing. Completely. And it's interesting to see the same person guarding Brittany Griner in the All-Star game and competing in the three-point contest at halftime of the All-Star game, right? Like, if you're only watching the nationally televised games, that still would stick off the screen to you in a lot of ways. Um, John Quill Jones is kind of what everybody wants in the NBA, if that's your reference to basketball, in that she is this giant that can shoot the ball. But you're telling me that they have a lot of other options, and it's not just a one-person show. Absolutely. And, you know, when you when you look at the balance in scoring, John Quill Jones is only averaging, and I say only, but she's only averaging 21 points and I believe like 10 rebounds a game, right? But when you look at the points, 21 points, Dewana Bonner is averaging 18 and a half points. You know, um, Jasmine Thomas, I believe, is kind of in that 10 points per game, um, 12 point per game um, average. Uh, and then Natisha Heidemann is also kind of looking at that between that 10 and 12 range. So when you look at the balance in, in the scoring, you know, that's what it is. But they pride themselves also on defense. Um, they're top five in defensive efficiency this year um, as well. So when you have all of those dynamics, like, it's amazing to see. And, again, I thought that the Connecticut Sun was going to take a step back. I mean, they lost Courtney Williams to the uh, Atlanta Dream. Um, they lost Alyssa Thomas to injury, and they're still uh, the top team in the East right now, record-wise. So, you know, with that being said, I mean, it's amazing just to to see that. Get need to give kudos to head coach Kurt Miller um, because I think, like you're saying, they were dealt a bad hand, and they're still defense is a team thing, and a coach has to put in the schematics on it. They're holding teams to 73 points per game, 
Uh, and it's really, really impressive. And I'm like you. I don't think anyone had them winning the East, and certainly not in a relative, like, dominant fashion. They're 14-6, and six, and the Sky are in second at 10-10. and 10. I mean, that, that's a big window for this point in the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, again, uh, one thing that I, that I would say um, about the Eastern Conference is that a lot of these teams, I believe, were dealt a bad hand. For example, the Chicago Sky dealt a bad hand when uh, Candace Parker went out. We didn't expect that, really. Um, we kind of expected Stephanie Dolson to be out. Uh, we kind of expected um, Astu Nu to be out um, because of her obligations with, uh, with Eurobasket. Um, but again, you look at the Washington Mystic, Elena Deladon has yet to play. Um, so when you look at that as well, you know, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the teams in the East that we kind of predicted was going to be, you know, very good. Um, at so far has not, and it's just due to like different obligations due to injury or uh, kind of like roster changes. Completely, and I don't mean to sit around and talk about the New York Liberty and Sabrina Ionescu because she probably gets talked about as much as any WNBA player, and she's played, you know, like less than 25 games. Um, but let's talk about the New York Liberty and Sabrina Ionescu because that does feel like this young team that if you're looking at Eastern Conference headlines before the season started, probably had people talking. Um, they're sitting at about 500 as well. What can you tell us about their first half of the season? Well, one thing that we're going to say is they're definitely improved. Um, they were the worst team, um, one of the worst teams in the league last year in the Wubble. Um, they have improved that uh, tremendously. Uh, they they have a, a, a very good case to um, make the playoffs, um, arguably, if, if the second half of the season bids well for them. Um, what I believe uh, with the New York Liberty is the acquisitions of, of course, Natasha Howard, even though she hasn't played much due to um, the knee injury. She buckled her knee, I think, in yeah. – I think it was like her second or third um, game that she had this year. Um, but – one thing that was amazing is Benaja Laney. Benaja Laney is averaging 19 and a half points per game this year. And to me, arguably, she could, again, be most improved player. <laughs> um, I believe that, you know, it, with the fever, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as much. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's just been a continuous jump. And again, first time All-Star this year, um, you have to give her a lot of credit for, for doing that. And she is definitely um, doing something for the Liberty. That's definitely making a lot of noise. And with Sabrina Unescu, um, of course, she's going to get a lot of the talk, but at the same time, she's doing what she needs to do as a point guard um, to at least get the team into a position to, um, to be successful. And, um, you have to give Walt Hopkins a lot of credit as well. Um, very young coach, but very ambitious coach and very strategic. Um, I One thing that um, I would like to see is, and I think Natasha, uh, Natasha Howard would, would be this for them, is playing a little bit bigger. Um, you know, with Rebecca Allen there, uh, with, you know, the other bigs, um, they're, they're not playing as big. They're very, they're very reliant on perimeter scoring. Um, so, 
once Natasha Howard gets there, she has that dynamic where even though she's 6'2", she can rebound, she can give you post moves, and she can give you that mid-range work, um, just like Benajelani does. Um, and I think that changes the dynamic of the Liberty and especially their identity defensively because that's what they pride their sleeves on as well. So um, I think the New York Liberty are in a good space. Whether they make the playoffs or not, I still think that they're in a good space um, to be very competitive. Um, and I love the improvement, especially from last year. Completely. Uh, last thing, last analysis I can get out of you is you mentioned you picked the Las Vegas Aces before the season. Uh, as we look at different insiders from Vegas gambling odds, they are the favorite across most sites um, with a slight edge over Seattle. After watching the first half of the season, have you budged at all on that pick? Or are you still holding strong with the Las Vegas Aces? I am still holding strong um, because at the end of the day, uh, when you talk about the defense, they're number one in defensive uh, ratings. So, um, and that could have, that, that literally could have changed um, because I haven't uh, checked the ratings um, as of recent, but that's the identity. Um, you know, as far as the, Offensive side, listen, Bill Lambeer has made one adjustment and he has allowed his perimeter players to be perimeter players. Um, you see more shooting because of the acquisition of Chelsea Gray, um, because Jackie Young is finally um, coming out of her shell as a former number one overall pick. Um, Kelsey Plum um, is coming out of her shell and getting better um, as each game goes along in the half court setting. So I think the perimeter scoring has has done a lot better for them. And, you know, you're always going to get, you know, the the dominance of Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage. You're always going to get that. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to perimeter scoring, they have much, much improved in that area. And I still think they can improve um, in perimeter scoring. But that has been the key difference. And I still think that they have the opportunity. Third time to me is the charm when it comes to, to the championship glory for the Las Vegas Aces. Um, the past three seasons, they've, again, improved on something. And I think this year, um, even though with the loss of Angel McCautry, um, they're going to definitely um, hoist a trophy um, at the end of the season. And I still believe that. One, while well, Angel McCautry's loss hurts them, it's kind of helped us because she's been great on ESPN, if I'm being really honest. Um Absolutely. Uh, and I will say, if you ask the players for their solution to the perimeter problems, Liz Cambage would just say, let me bring the ball up. <laughs> so I don't know how that would go for them, but that's what she would want, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Liz Cambage, you have to you have to love Liz. I mean, one of the most dynamic um, faces of the league and very charismatic. Um, I, I loved – she got two memes <laughs> out of us yesterday, the popcorn – and her um, embracing Candace Parker, uh, the way she embraced Candace, like if you, if you don't have a friend that embraced as much as Liz embraced Candace Parker yesterday, there's something wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> K-Dot, uh, you always cover the WNBA. You cover a lot of basketball really across all spectrums. Tell people where to find you at online and things like that. Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at underscore K.3H. Again, that's on Twitter at underscore K dot uh, underscore K dot 3H. Um, of course, you can always find me on all your streaming platforms for the WNBA show. 
Um, shout out to my co-host, Daniel Artest. Um, he's um, very, uh, very much as knowledgeable as I am. Um, also, you can follow me on Instagram, and that is at uh, K.LPP. I also have um, a separate uh, podcast called Hoopers Unhailed, uh, which features um, a lot of basketball players that you may not know. Um, but I give them the opportunity to tell their story um, on a professional um, high school and college level. Um, so you can find me on all of those platforms. I'm on Twitter mainly. Um, so uh, if you if you know Parker, you know that uh, me and Parker, we engage a lot. Um, and <laughs> you've done such a great job. Um, I always like and retweet and try to engage as much as I can. And you need to continue to do what you're doing because your content is definitely immaculate and um i enjoy it very well so thank you <laughs> well thanks for that k dot and thanks for stopping by and talking a little women's basketball that's again at underscore k dot three h for all your wnba and really a lot of basketball needs on twitter thanks for stopping by man absolutely thank you okay parker so the thesis statement for this commercial is james harden has the best beard in sports what do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, so we're joined here again by our good friend and substitute teacher, Ryan McCarthy of Belly Up Sports Hockey Team. Ryan, how are we doing? Hello, class. Well, uh, thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good the first time. We had to have you back around. Oh, yeah, I had a blast the first time around. <laughs> <laughs> so with Ryan here as a hockey expert, obviously we're going to break down what all happened and looking back at the NHL playoffs. Uh if you want to go back to the catalog and go see what Ryan says to preview, he's very honest, so I don't think he's going to lie about his takes on here this time <laughs> around. Um, but the the first round saw two series go seven games uh, of the NHL playoffs. The Vegas Golden Knights beat the Minnesota Wild in seven games. And the New York, uh, sorry, and the Montreal Canadiens beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven games. Um, I could take my guess, Ryan, but w- did any of those surprise you? Uh, the Montreal Toronto series surprised me because all the way back in our episode, I had picked the Toronto Maple Leafs to go to the Stanley Cup final. And a Canadian team did go to the Stanley Cup final, but it was not the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, and the unique thing about that series is because is that Toronto led the series three games to one. And the Canadians came back, they won in overtime the next two games, and they wound up just beating the brakes off the Maple Leafs in game seven. 
So that was one of the most, that was probably the most surprising series of, of them all. Just the way that Montreal came back. And what's funny is that in games five and six, Montreal had a multi-goal lead coming into, going into the third period. They surrendered multiple goals and they still, still wound up winning, winning overtime. It's the first time in Stanley Cup history it's ever happened. So we saw a little bit of history in that series, but but Montreal was just it was just a uh, it was just an incredible series. Uh, sixteen out of sixteen people on uh, writers and experts on experts and I say that in air quotes on ESPN <laughs> picked the Maple Leafs to go to the next round, and all sixteen of them were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so because that is somewhat historic, and because when you see the tides change like that. That's typically something happened, either schematically in a positive way, in this case for uh, for the Canadians, or in a negative way <laughs> uh, for Toronto. <laughs> so talk me through what schematically you saw happening as that series unfolded like that. There was one big change Montreal made that had that made all the difference in their playoff run, and that was the addition of Cole Caulfield. Uh, Cole Caulfield was the... Hobie Baker Award winner in the in the NCAA this year. It's, it's akin to the Heisman Trophy winner in NCAA football. And after the after Wisconsin lost in the Frozen Four tournament, he decided to go to Montreal, spent a spent a cup of coffee in Laval in the AHL, and got called up before the end of the season. He didn't play the first three games, four games of the series, but uh, Coach Dominic Ducharme put him in the lineup in Game Five, and that made all the difference. Uh, for the for the Canadians because he was part of a line that was absolutely electric with uh, Kyle Suzuki and uh, Tyler Toffoli. They did they had a majority of the scoring uh, for the Canadians the next three games. So it was just having that one one person can make it one skater can make a difference. One player can make a difference for an entire team. And in this case for the Montreal Canadiens, it was Cole Caulfield. Awesome, and, and it's truthfully it's weird to think of. You know, I'll say a favorite because it se- did seem like you really liked them. But it's weird to think of the Toronto Maple Leafs just falling off with a single person hopping on the ice. But that really changed a lot in that series, right? Yeah, in Game One, their captain uh, John Tavares went down uh, at a, because of an inadvertent knee to the head by I believe it was Eric Stahl, and he didn't play the entire series. He had a concussion. He didn't play the rest of the series. So. Having their having their captain, you know, it, you know, the first four games it didn't look like the, it, you know, it, it looked like they were going to breeze through. Uh, they lost in game uh, Toronto lost in game one. They took the next three games rather convincingly uh, in games two and four. And it looks like they were going to go on without their captain, but all of a sudden my, my, they just the wind got kicked out of their sails when they lost in overtime, and it was just an avalanche. Oh, no pun intended. An avalanche of, of uh, not bad play, but just bad things happening for the Maple Leafs. He had the bad giveaway by Alex Gilchenyuk. He had the overtime goal in game six. And then just the wind just got knocked into their sails. And I think it was just a case of just burning out. The, 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 the candle just burned out. Uh, they were so good for the majority of the season. They won the North Division handily. And I think it was just a case of just burning out. It just backfired on them. The other first round series that went seven games was again the Knights over the Wild. Were you surprised to see that one go seven, or how'd that one hit you? I predicted that the Knights would win in seven. I just didn't think it would be that that the Wild would come back from three one down, tie the series, and then the Golden Knights just beat the brakes off them in game seven, six to rather convincingly six to two. So, you know, they they were both pretty close in the in the regular season. 
uh, in uh, in the standings. So it was. I, I wasn't shocked to see it go seven. I was a little shocked that the series went the way it went with the Knights going up three one, the Wild coming back, and then a, kind of an unclimactic ending with the six two with a with a four goal win by the Golden Knights. <laughs> so so again, it's the way the series played out was surprising. Not necessarily that it went seven, but just like the actual series of events. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Were there any other, and again, I'm harping on those because seven-game series are always fun. You also had, like, the Winnipeg Jets swept the Oilers. Were there any other surprises in the first round that you saw, or did the rest of the first round kind of go, outside of Toronto, the first round go kind of as you thought it would? With the exception of Washington and Boston, I thought that series was going to be closer than it was, but the Bruins were just, they were a tougher team than Washington, and I thought that had the, the Dino Chara factor with the Washington was going to be a was going to be the deciding factor. But uh, apparently, I I was completely in the wrong on that. And Boston went up losing the first game in overtime. Then they won the next two games in overtime, and then the wheels just fell off the wagon for Washington after after that. So that was kind of a a shocking not not shocking, but it was uh, it was a surprising series to see uh, Boston take wa- take out Washington so convincingly. Nashville and Carolina, I thought it would go seven, but that was a seriously entertaining series between Carolina and Nashville. Hurricanes blew the doors off uh, Nashville in games one and two. Nashville comes back, they went in two double overtime in games four, three and four. Hurricanes went in overtime the next two series. But the cool thing about that series was seeing fans back in the stands. I was so excited to see Carolina. At that point, they only had 50% capacity, but still, and and same in Nashville, but still the fans came out. They supported their teams. I was super happy to see fans in the stands. And I know people will have their opinions about uh, having fans in the stands that soon, but to me, it, it was just, it was awesome to see. It was awesome to see fans in the stands, fans supporting their teams, regardless of how the capacity. The arenas still got loud. Arena still got loud with only with about ten thousand people in, in uh, the uh, PNC Arena and uh, Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. So it was fun. To see, that was fun to see. But yeah, the other series that kind of surprised me was Edmonton and Winnipeg. Again, Winnipeg sweeping Edmonton to, and and to see the 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 best player in the league, his team going down in four straight in four games. Uh, but three of those games were in, were decided in overtime. They were very close games. But but still, I mean, you 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 want to see the best players in your league go far, and unfortunately for Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, that success has not they haven't had that kind of success yet. The, the the farthest they've gone is a second round, and they've lost in the first round. They lost in the first round last year, and they lost in the first round this year, and they got swept by Winnipeg. So I wouldn't say that Connor McDavid's unsatisfied. He's actually I figured he would be asking for a trade after the after the last loss but apparently he believes in the vision that uh, general manager Ken Holland has and he's going to stay in Edmonton for a long time. They what? just need to pick this putting together some uh, more teammates to help him out. You mentioned a guy that won a couple big awards when you were on the first time before the or as the playoffs were starting we were very high on Connor McDavid and he ended up winning mm-hmm. the Hart Memorial Trophy and the Ted Lindsay award. Yep. Um Talk us through, were there any, uh, obviously I think you would agree, and, and it sounded like you were really high on him uh, a couple months ago, were there any award winners that stuck out as the goaltenders or defensemen or even general manager of the year? Anyone that stuck out as like, oh, I didn't really see that coming? Uh, I think Adam Fox winning the the, the Norse uh, as the best defenseman in the league, that was a bit surprising because he was in decent company with Victor Hedman, and I can't remember the third uh, finalist, but Victor Hedman is above him, is hands down one of the 
the best defenseman in the National Hockey League. He won the Conn Smythe Trophy last season as the playoffs MVP. But Adam Fox winning the winning the uh, Norse Trophy as best defenseman that was that was pretty surprising. I, I know at least one uh, Belly Up podcast host who was super happy in Kyle <laughs> Hall. Uh, he was the guy who was he runs the uh, po- the broad the Broadway Hat podcast. And congratulations to him, FYI. He he's his podcast was in the top twenty five of hockey podcasts in the United States in the past month. So he's making his podcast known across the hockey world and at least in the United States. But but yeah, Adam Fox winning the Norris was was kind of surprising. But the way he played this year, he had a he had a really great season uh, as the uh, Rangers tried to make a push to the playoffs. Unfortunately, they fell short. But he was a primary reason why the 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 Rangers had that a uh, little bit of a run where they they were doing really well. Uh, but I, I expect th- I expect big things from him next season. Even though I'm a Devils fan and I and I have that kind of uh, that unconscious bias, as uh, as Mr. Cummings had said, <laughs> kind of <laughs> claimed I had. But but still, he's a he's a very solid player, and uh, I'm happy to see him get the award. And then were there any other like oh good for that? You say you're happy to see him win. Were there any other like oh good for that guy kind of awards when award season happened? Mark Andre Fleury winning the Vezina. He had never been nominated, and he never won a Vezina, which is shocking, considering how how elite of a goaltender he's been over the past decade. Uh, he was on a team in Pittsburgh where uh, he was on with with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, and he was kind of outshined because of those two guys in Pittsburgh. He gets he gets selected by the Vegas Golden Knights in the expansion draft four years ago. And he's been the king of Las Vegas ever since. And this season, especially after, you know, I know there was a bit of a controversy last year with Golden Knights bringing in Robin Lehner uh, to kind of solidify their goaltending in case Flurry got hurt or he struggled. But when Lehner went down with an injury, Flurry stepped up his game. And again, the Vegas Golden Knights finished second overall in the league. And a lot of it was due to his goaltending. A lot of it was due to his play. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually seriously happy for the flower that he... He wound up winning the the Vezina Trophy. It was well deserved. Awesome, and it, it is a great story to see a guy. Uh, he's been in the league, you know, seventeen years. It's a long time to get yeah. before getting nominated for this award. And and you know, Vegas has had several feel good stories, even you know, dating back to their first year as a franchise. Um, but that yeah, that I was, feel sorry for those long suffering uh, Golden Knights <laughs> fans. <laughs> yeah, they seem to keep popping up. Obviously, the Edmonton Oilers had some big award winners, but not very many big wins. And so, if we jump into the second round, those series, I say quick. I guess two of them did go six games, but the second round went pretty quickly, didn't it? It went rather quickly. Uh, Colorado Vegas beat Gold Colorado in six. I was a little surprised to see it go six. Uh, I thought Vegas would take it in seven. The Canadians taking out the Jets in four games. That was rather shocking, though. That was very surprising, considering Montreal basically backed their way into the play- into a playoff spot. They come back to beat Toronto. They the momentum keeps going. They went. They at that point they were a seven game. They had a seven game winning streak. Timber Bay beating Carolina really wasn't no was no surprise. Timber Bay is the defending champion. They know how to win. And then the Islanders. The Islanders keeping up their momentum. Uh, with a six-game series win over Boston. Sorry, Boston, you're not going to win. Your championship parade streak is going to keep uh, going to keep uh, going here. So, uh, <laughs> the, uh, no parade streak is going to keep going. But uh, I I I found that the Islanders were highly a highly entertaining team, or despite the fact that people called them boring, I think the Islanders have a lot of pieces that I think they could make a cup. It could make a cup run next year. Uh, this year obviously didn't work out. Uh, we'll get to that, and I know we'll get to that in just a sec- uh, moment or two. But New York Islanders—they're—I think they're a fun team to watch. And the fact that, again, ESPN 
experts, I put that in air quotes, had Boston, had the Bruins taken the series. Ten of them had the Bruins taken the series. Sorry. <laughs> Islanders, took, Islanders took them down. Well, and obviously that hurts. Half of Slapshot Sweethearts is a very big, another, another Belly Up podcast, Slapshot Sweethearts. Half of that podcast is very big. Bruins contingency. Uh, yep. You say ESPN in air quotes, and I'll use that as my in-between rounds thing here because ESPN's going to have a lot more hockey coverage in the coming years, right? It looks like they, they signed are. some deal. Do you see experts coming that don't have air quotes, or, or what's going to change there? Just, <laughs> what's going to happen there? No, I, did, I just think it's funny that uh, the in the second round, four of the three out of the four teams that these uh, these analysts pick all lost. They had the eleven out of thirteen had Carolina had Lightning going to the second round, and ten out of thirteen had the Bruins. Ten out of thirteen had the Avalanche, and twelve out of thirteen had the Mon- had the had Winnipeg going to the second round. So, I mean, I mean, the the most un the most predictable thing about the future is that it's unpredictable. <laughs> so whoever you know, whatever your pick is, that's your pick. Great, good, good for you. But it might not work out after it might not work out. So you know, I mean. The analysts are they get paid the big the, the big bucks. I'm just just some schmo uh, trying to make it into the broadcasting business himself. And he, I'll make fun of the ESPN analysts. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it it makes me happy when teams kind of uh, I, I guess you'd say you could say teams prove the experts wrong. And in this case, three out of the four teams that were picked for the consensus pick by the uh, analysts didn't work out. Definitely, and it, it's always nice to see. I'll call it an underdog, but I'm with you on. ESPN is obviously going to bump up their hockey covers in the near future, and I don't know if yep. the people that are working there in five years would have made the same picks. Hopefully that's guys like yourself and Kyle and Shannon and so on from the Belly Up team. We love having you around Belly Up until that point. But it, it does feel like there was just a lot of bad picks across there. We jump into the conference finals. The New York Islanders push the Tampa Bay Lightning to seven games, and the Montreal Canadiens beat the Golden Knights in six games. Which yep. of those results surprised you more? It was definitely Montreal beating Vegas. Uh, I, I I I thought Montreal was going to stretch Vegas. I, I thought Vegas was going to win in seven. Uh, Montreal, their their momentum from the first round into the second round uh, carried them into the to this point, basically, which is the Western Conference Final. Uh, even though there were no Western Conference this year, but it was just it was. It was, I like, I like having an underdog, I mean, like you said, uh, Parker, everybody likes an underdog story, and Montreal was the ultimate underdog story in this playoff. They were the 18th best team in the NHL this year, and they went all the way, they went all the way to the conference, the conference final, I guess you could say, uh, conference finals, and they went up beating the number two team in the league. And it's an, I mean, hockey is just a different animal when it comes to playoff time, and it's so much fun to watch. It's easy to root for the underdog. You want to see the teams that... You wouldn't necessarily say underachieve, but are kind of under the radar. Make it all the way to this point, and they wound up beating the wound up being the number two team in the league as a number eighteen as a number eighteen team in the league, basically. But yeah, it was just that was a enter- very entertaining series, and I I was I was kind of I was pretty excited that Montreal got to get to the final. Well, and so let's talk about that because Montreal gets really hot at the right time, which seems to happen as a layperson. To me, it seems to happen. In hockey a lot that like getting yep. hot at the right time is as important as talent was it mm-hmm. just genuinely being hot was it the roster change you mentioned a moment ago was there you know just this underlying thing that hadn't brought itself out during the regular season what was it about montreal this year that felt so different i, I think the roster having that addition to the roster 
uh, in Cole, Cole Caulfield in the first round. And the play of Carey Price. Carey Price played out of his ever-loving mind and between the pipes it's i i've never seen that before although he had he had that one series last year where they were in the qualifying round they were the 12th seed in the east and they beat pittsburgh in three in four games and i think that gave him a bit of confidence going into this playoff season well yeah while well yes the they the canadians had the they were getting beat pretty handily by the maple leafs for the first three out of the first four games but then they just caught fire afterwards and Carey Price had a lot to do with that, making making timely saves. I mean, he didn't have a I don't think he had a shutout in this uh, entire playoffs playoff season. But actually, no, he did he have a had in, in game two against Winnipeg, you know, one nothing win. But a part of hockey is that the, the if a goaltender gets hot at the right time, and Carey Price certainly did in the next for the first uh, in the next two rounds, that had a lot to do with Montreal uh, advancing to the Stanley Cup final. Definitely. And so then they get to the Stanley Cup final. They play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, it was a short series. Tampa Bay wins in five games for their mm-hmm. second Stanley Cup in less than a calendar year. Walk us through that series. Was it just the luck was running out for Montreal? Is Tampa that good? What's happening in that series? Tampa's just that good. Tampa's just that good. They they At one point in the playoff, for the fir- in the first three games... Tampa was outscoring Montreal 14 to 5. They won 5 1 in game one. They won 6 3 in game three in Montreal, uh, where they actually let people, they let, they let fans in the stands in Montreal, uh, which is kind of a small miracle in itself. Uh, <laughs> but considering all of the stuff that goes on in Canada, a little bit more strict with the uh, COVID guidelines up there. But but no, Tampa Bay just, that is just they're, they're built to win. I, and I, I said this on the Infinity podcast with Wayne. Uh, last week or this past week, I think Tampa could you could see a possible dynasty in Tampa. They've won two Stanley Cups in a row. They've been in the conference finals, I think three out of the four last four seasons. They're they're a team that's built to go far in the playoffs. And they they, they they have they have the system. John Cooper's a great head coach. Andre Vasilevsky, who is the Vezina, Vezina Trophy winner, is the best overall player in the playoffs. Although you could say Nikita Kucherov and his thirty-plus points could have given could have given him the Vezina Trophy, not the Vezina Trophy, the, the Conn Smythe Trophy. I, I apologize, the Conn Smythe Trophy. Andre Vasilevsky, the arguably the best goal in the league. Again, Victor Hedman, arguably the best defenseman in the league. Nikita Kucherov, who who is timely, whose timely appearance after missing the entire season, and he makes it and comes back in the playoffs and scores thirty-plus points. And he's in very good company with Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux as being the only players to score 30 plus points in a Stanley Cup uh, in a Stanley Cup playoff season. But watching the Lightning, their transition play from defense to offense, elite goaltending, a great head coach and John Cooper. I think this 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 they're just a good this is a great team. So you can you can argue you can argue you can argue against it, but yeah, it's they're just that good. So it sounds like Wayne stole my thunder a little bit because my question is going to be: if this team wins <laughs> two Stanley Cup in less than a calendar year, you know the rule for a dynasty is typically like if you get three in five years or three in a row, obviously that's a big deal, right? That's what we start talking about the New England Patriots, San Antonio Spurs, Chicago Bulls. For more broader sports fans out there, that that's a big deal. This seems like it's heading towards that. You you think it's going to get there? I think they'll win at least one more Stanley Cup in the next three years. And and three and five is three and you're absolutely right parker three championships in five seasons that's that's dynasty level completely my, my question then ryan is what can the rest of the league do or hope to happen to catch up because it seems like 
Tampa is out in front of this thing, and I don't I don't mean to you know spill too much tea here, but there is not a lot of ice in Tampa. I would imagine people north <laughs> of the Mason Dixon line are a little upset that this rinky dink expansion fr- it's not expansion anymore, it's twenty something years old, but that this rinky dink <laughs> franchise in Tampa Bay, Florida is running the NHL, right? Well, I, I know one such podcast from Belly Up Sports <laughs> podcast, uh, uh, Craft Brood Sports, Scott. He's he's pretty upset because he absolutely hates the fact that there's professional hockey teams in the Sun Belt region. So, but regardless, Tampa, I mean, Florida overall has a lot of Northern transplants from both Canada and the Northeast, and they grew up watching hockey and they want to go see a hockey game. You know, maybe at first, Tampa Bay wasn't nobody, there wasn't anybody's favorite team in that region because not a lot of people knew about hockey or about the rules of hockey or they had a lot of northern, again, a lot of northeast transplants, Canadian transplants, going to warmer weather after retiring. And slowly but surely, you're building a fan base. You're building up a fan base, and it's a strong fan base. Uh, Tampa Bay has a, has a very strong fan base. Same with Carolina. Same with Nashville. Nashville's insane for hockey in that area, in that region. I'm hoping Florida, the Florida Panthers, can do that because they're start they're starting to build up their own little uh, something something special in Sunrise and in, in, in Miami. So I mean, it, I shouldn't I wouldn't be too upset with uh, with uh, with teams south of the Mason Dixon line waiting winning Stanley Cups but that's just I think that's it's a good thing it's a good thing for hockey because that means more kids I mean yeah Tampa Bay is a warm weather region so big deal there's still kids playing at the ice rink as I mentioned you know we had uh, I had mentioned that uh, one of the key cogs for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning Blake Coleman He's from Texas. He's a Texas kid. He yeah. watched the Dallas. He watched the Dallas Stars growing up. He played hockey, I think, in Plano, Texas. He wound up going to the USHL, played ho- college hockey at Miami, Ohio, and now he's won two Stanley Cups with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So regionally, you can you can poo poo the region because it's it's Florida. It's 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 a Sun Belt, but <laughs> I think I think Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup and Carol, teams like Carolina going to uh, the playoffs and. Florida Panthers go in the playoffs. I think it's a good thing for hockey because it attracts more fans. Completely. And I will say, so I've lived in Dallas. I don't mean to age myself. I've lived in Dallas eight years now. And <laughs> I, I will, moving to Dallas, having grown up in Texas, lived in the rest of Texas all of my life, coming to Dallas where there is a hockey team, kids in middle school play hockey. And I, I just hadn't really thought about like, yep. oh, they went to games when they were in like elementary school and liked it and found a team and played on it. And I didn't really think about how that would grow the game. And Tampa, I would assume, is doing that with, I mean, obviously a much more successful franchise in recent memory over there. Yep. Is there something in the water in Tampa? Obviously, at the Buccaneers last year and <laughs> the Tampa Bay Rays. Or is it is it something that the Lightning are doing? Is there something other teams can do, I guess, to, to catch up to the Lightning? Or is it just, you're not in Tampa, you don't get the same kind of water? No, I think it's a championship, menta- it's, it's a championship mentality. And Stevie, I, Steve Eiserman, who was, he was general manager there for several years before uh, going back to the Detroit, he was a winner in Detroit. He won three, I think, was it three or four Stanley? He won four Stanley Cups, three or four Stanley Cups as a member of the Detroit Red Wings. He's a winner. He knows how to win. He knows how to put together a team. And he did that while he was in Tampa. He built a contender. He he drafted outstanding players like Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman and Andre Vasilevsky. And the GM who's there now uh, put the pieces together uh, at the right time during the trade deadline and or before the trade deadline and trade for some players that, they figure they can put into their system and it's worked. It's worked. They've been, again, two Stanley cups and possibly a third in the next five years because the organizations just, they know how to 
put together a winner. They put, know how to put together a system that every player can uh, can be a part of. And you know, it, it's, time, it's time for the rest of the league to catch up. And some teams are starting to do that. But I think Tampa Bay is going to be they're going to be a contender for quite a long time. All right. It is way too early for this, but let's go ahead and make a bold <laughs> prediction for next year. Do the Tampa Bay Lightning make it a three-peat? And if not, who knocks them off? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think I think Colorado is, is one of those teams that could knock off could, that could knock off Vegas. Uh, not Vegas. Uh, Tampa Bay. Vegas is obviously in the in the in the is always in the conversation. But it's going to be interesting to see who gets unprotected in the expansion draft next Wednesday, and to see who Seattle picks, and if teams can try to. Uh, if teams are, if they're the Kraken, are going to take some team, some uh, key cogs of of the Tampa Bay Lightning or other teams. But that's going to be a game changer for a lot of teams. But I think I think Colorado is one team. Vegas is another team. I think Toronto, if they can try to bring back some of that magic they can they uh, they had last they had this past season. And I think the Islanders are, are on the cusp as well. You heard it here first, folks. Ryan is predicting that. Several teams knock off the Tampa. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Ryan, obviously you're always a great, for a lot of sports follow, but a hockey follow as well. Tell people where they can find you. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at whoisryanmcc. That's my personal Twitter. You can also find my podcast, No Credentials, no credentials Required, uh, on any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, Google Podcasts, uh, Podchaser. And our our account for Twitter and Instagram is at BellyUpNCR. And can you explain a little bit what No Credentials Required is? Because you've changed up your podcast. I like it. I like what you're doing there. So tell us, <laughs> you changed up the, what you're doing with your podcast lately. So I pivoted towards covering the my region of the United States, which is the Albany, New York, Albany, New York, capital region of New York. As I, as I like to call it, the Mighty 518. Uh, I try to focus in on a couple sports in the area uh, on Fridays. Now I've got a live stream that I I'll, I'll post in the audio forum, concentrating the live show. I'm doing talking to the national headlines for the week and sports topics there. But most of my concentrations on the Albany, New York area uh, this past. And occasionally I have a, I have a big guest on uh, last week. I had the pleasure of interviewing Brittany Wagner uh, from last chance. You, we talked about her time in scuba and her new book that's coming out in September. Go ahead and pre-order that. Um, next next couple weeks, I'll have my buddy Rod Peterson back on the show, and you know maybe we'll have some other big guests coming on. No credentials required in the next couple of months, so have to tune in to see, to find out for sure. So go check out No Credentials Required, both the national and local show. I love that balance you got going there, and then obviously follow Ryan McCarthy on Twitter for all your hockey and other Northern New York needs. But thank you again for coming by, Ryan. It's always great to have a good sub on. Thanks, Parker. Class is missed. <laughs> Friends, that was another edition of FN Sports. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to follow our friends KDOT at underscore K.3H. That's underscore K-D-O-T, the number three H on Twitter. And Ryan McCarthy, who is at who is Ryan MCC. That's at who W H O is I S Ryan R Y A N M C C on Twitter. As for a wrap up of the NBA season, 
If it ends Tuesday night, be sure to check out Wednesday's Midweek Midrange. Midweek Midrange is hosted by me and features a handful of other Belly Up Basketball writers talking about hoops. We'll be live at 9 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday night to talk about the NBA Finals, the NBA Draft, both of the Team USAs, and more. That's the Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Midweek Midrange on Twitter and Instagram. We'll be live on YouTube and Twitter at 9 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. As for my personal stuff, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512, where I'll be posting my takes, writing, shows, and other goodies. As for this show, you can find us on Twitter at FNSports2. That's at F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word on Twitter and on Instagram. We're at F underscore N underscore sports. Thank you all for coming by after class. And please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.